of the, it'll always be my favorite strain, no matter how old it is. And all the new hype strains that come out. Still gotta love that San Fernando Valley OG. Oh man, what is up everybody? Welcome to episode two of the podcast. Man, I am so excited to keep doing these. Um, just just being able to like communicate with people in a totally different format is is really fun. But as I said before in episode one, still getting used to it. Um, my morning, my morning was uh, was intense. I had a customer that wasn't stoked on a custom piece. They haven't gotten the piece yet, um, but uh, it was a little bit darker colored than they wanted. Um, sometimes when you make a piece, it strikes out a little heavier than normal. All batches of color are different. But it was definitely a little bit of a stressful way to start the morning only because I care. Because I want people to be happy and the, the piece look exactly how they thought. So it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of artists like say no customs. They'll be like, oh, I'm no custom orders. And it's it's not because of like they don't want to make them. It's because it's really a bummer when you work super hard on something and per- someone expected it to maybe be more blue and not so much, you know, another color, whatever, white. Like I, it was a Moonstone piece I made. It was just a little bit too heavy on the white for the customer, but all batches are different. Um, my week has been has been really good, but man, like last week when we were gonna film episode two, we uh, weren't able to because of a crazy snowstorm. But uh, that week, I wanted to talk about like my uh, my neighbor threatened to kill my dog. It was crazy. Um, I've never talked to my neighbors in like six years, and they've never like called their dogs in when our dogs are running at the fence barking at each other. Um, so I didn't think they cared. I always call my dog in, but, uh, they, uh, leaned out their door and the guy was like, if you don't control your dog, I'm going to fucking kill him. And I was like, Whoa, dude. So instead of yelling profanities back, I really wanted to yell back at him. I wanted to get aggressive, but I was like, you know what? Maybe he's just having a bad day. Maybe he's just like taking it out of me. So instead I got in my car and I drove over to his house and talked to him like a man instead of yelling out my fucking door at my neighbor. Um, but we handled it. I told him that I'm going to get a new fence so these dogs stop getting crazy. Something that's more like a privacy fence. I just told him I got to save up for it. But besides that, the week was good. Um, and again, episode two, we wanted to get it out sooner. But the weather here in Colorado is unpredictable. And uh, my producer, uh, the guy that helps me do everything, Mark Stiles, uh, he lives about an hour and a half away. So if it's really shitty out, you know, I don't want people driving and uh, risking getting in an accident or anything. What else? Let's see here. So yeah, we have the Hawaii show coming up uh, June 27th. And um, let me make sure this joint's actually lit. Because last time I feel like I talked so much, I didn't even smoke my joint and enjoy it. And I tried to save my first joint of the day for the podcast. Because if I smoke before this, already my eyes are like, you know, really droopy from being tired. But if I smoked before this, I would just be staring at the camera smiling. I wouldn't even be able to talk. So yeah, we got the Hawaii show coming up June 27th. I'm going to be flying out there with my wife. We're going to be hanging out heady Hawaii. They like rented an Airbnb. It's this big, beautiful house. It has a pool, a huge yard and everything. And basically it's going to be a big party. Um, we're just going to be hanging out, talking about glass. And this show is going to be kind of different. Like I will be dropping some RBRs at this show, but um, they want me to bring some one of one solo pieces, some new stuff, some different stuff. So Really excited to have an opportunity for a shop that wants to see um, some of my other work because I have a lot of other pieces I want to make. and I'm going to bring some cool one-of-ones there um, so that we can like try them out, test them, basically be like a big sesh, like 
since my daughter was born, me and my wife, we've just been raging. We haven't really had a chance to really like party and feel young. So uh, I'm really stoked to be able to go to Hawaii and hang out with a bunch of people and have some fun. And I'm trying to do all the weeds, um, the concentrated weeds, the pre-run, the post-run, um, the dro, the mids, maybe no mids. No, we'll smoke mids too. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to have, it's, I'm trying to make some memories with new friends, meet new people and uh, show you guys all these new pieces that I've been working on and ideas I have. And I'm also going to bring like some stuff to give away. I think I'm going to bring like a couple of pieces to give away and we'll basically sesh those and enjoy them the whole time. So you guys can try out some of the work. And then at the end of the show, I'll just like do a drawing and whoever was there, someone's going to win a free piece. So maybe I'll have two pieces to give away, but I'm really excited. Me and my wife, uh, we've never been to Hawaii. Um, we're also going to go there and we're going to hang out for like an extra week just to explore and, uh, try to have a little bit of a vacation because we did our wedding and uh, Iceland was not a vacation. That shit was brutal. Um, very cold, very windy, but we got some epic photos and that's really why we went there. So we've never really had like our honeymoon to getting married. So we're going to kind of use this as like our work trip kind of like honeymoon thing. So I'm really excited to do that. And um, Hedy Hawaii, those guys over there, they said they're going to like take us out, show us some things. So I'm excited to have some locals actually show us around. Don't mind me. I'm doing it again. I'm just talking a bunch and not smoking my weed. I've been waiting for this first joint of the day. I'm almost out of SFV too. So me just letting it burn here, I'm almost throwing away something, something that I really love and I can't do that. We gotta keep smoking it. But yeah, Hawaii should be a blast. Um, I'm really excited to just like, I don't know, just kind of get away for a little bit and not feel those like, normal stresses because when I'm at home like I work from home like right now we're in my garage and when you work from home you never really leave work you're like always there and even if you like sit down and have dinner you're like all right when I'm done with dinner I'm gonna get back out to work I'm just excited to be far enough away from my torch where maybe I can really try to like calm down and and relax a little bit because doing everything we do I feel like we run at a pretty high anxiety level um it's just it's, it's a lot like building a business and just like learning how to do things like that. And, um, especially cause neither me and my wife went to school for any sort of like business degree or anything, you know, we're kind of just doing what we think we should do and like trial and error, seeing what works. So it's really high stress. You know, sometimes we feel like we're, we have a plan and we have big ideas, but we don't, it's like, where do you start? And I feel like that's like a lot of people that have something they're trying to build and want to do something. It's like, where do you start? Like what's what's the first thing you do to get the ball rolling on this? And I think a lot of those like stressors, like mental stuff, that's like the anxiety and the stress we feel. But yeah, I'm hoping that Hawaii really just is a way to like, you know, meet face to face with people, have some fun, make some memories, decompress and come back fresh. And also being able to bring like new pieces that I haven't shown people and like let people experience some of the prototypes. There'll be a lot of cool prototypes there. I think that's the thing. Like we're still going to drop RBRs. Like I think we're going to have 10 of each colored. And I'm going to do like really like bright, like fun tropical colors for this show so that it like kind of goes with that whole like tropical like vibe and everything. So definitely really excited for that. I'm like already like counting the days S stressed out though to like, like leave and like not be working. Cause like if I'm not working, that means we're not making money and we're just spending money. Um, which when you're building a business, it's like, it, that's kind of constant. So it's not something you should like really get hung up on too much and think about, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to go to Hawaii. I don't mean to keep saying that, but it's the truth. I might not sound excited cause I'm always so exhausted, 
but that's because everything right now, I'm putting everything I have and everything I can do, I'm putting it into this. Like even last night, like my wife got home from her class at 10 o'clock. I smoked a joint with her and she's like, oh, you're going to come come to bed now, you know, get ready for the podcast. So I'm like, I have to work. I was like, every hour that I'm like awake or I can physically move, I need to be working so that I'm able to get ahead because it, it, it's it's one of those things too. It's like the harder you work, it seems like the more shit comes your way too though. So it's almost just canceling out. Are you really getting ahead or are you just working extra hard to anticipate shit hitting the fan and then you pay all that off? But yeah. Um, see here. But yeah, but talking about my wife, that's one thing I wanted to talk about too. Like um, me and Cassandra, my wife, we've been together since we were 15 years old. We like legitimately met on MySpace. I hit her up on and MySpace. I was like, what's your aim? Let's talk on AOL Instant Messenger. And uh, like, that's how we, we've met and we've been together forever. Um, and ever since then, like we've worked on projects together, had ideas. We've had multiple like companies we've tried to start. And glassblowing was one of those ones we like never, we never really expected. I always thought we would either have some sort of like nursery, like selling like plants or flowers and because we had a landscape company too or something like that, something where we obviously work with our hands, but we're working like outside and stuff. Um, the glass blowing really came out of nowhere. It was, it was wild how that all happened. But um, I wanted to talk about like working with your, like your husband or wife. And I think a lot of glass blowers out there, like the, the guys and girls that are doing well out there, they usually have help. They have like either a wife or their husband helping them or like a really close friend. But really what I want to talk about is just like working with like your significant other. Me and Cassie have like a really uh, interesting dynamic. Like she is the super organized, focused, like prioritized. Like she like keeps everything together so that I can just blow glass. Um, I'm not good at doing like a bunch of things at once. I'm really good at working hard and focusing on a single thing. But as soon as you start like having me, I have to have something organized or cleaned or this bill like paying bills like and knowing what bills to pay like I can't keep any of that together so thank god for her that she just keeps everything so organized and professional so that I can focus on what I'm trying to do because with glass blowing it's one of those things where you don't get anything done really quickly um it's kind of like you have to sit there and be like all right like I need at least like for each step I need at least like a solid hour of no interruptions just to get this one part of this one step done for this one piece so it's one of those things that's taken us years to find that balance where, um, you know, where I'm like, I'm not shipping anymore. I have someone helping me with shipping. I have someone helping me with prep now. Cassandra runs like the whole business and does like all the customer service and sets the orders. Literally, I just have an app on my phone that tells me what I need to make that day. And then I check off my list. So I'm like, thanks to her, like I'm able to be in a position where I can really just focus on my craft and getting the best like being the best I can be, um, at what I'm trying to do. Um, but some, like, I know like some people I've talked to, they're like, Oh, like it'd, it'd be tough for me to like work with my wife or work with my husband. And I think that everybody's relationship's a little bit different. Um, since we've been together, since we were like kids, literally have grown up together. Um, I think that that is really kind of like the foundation to why we can do all this stuff together because, we don't have our separate group of friends. We don't have our own things. Like everything we've ever done is together. So we don't have those thoughts of like, well, this is my thing I do. And that's your thing you do. It's like, no, we do everything together. 
So I think that really helps the dynamic, like for us to like work together day to day to deal with stressful situations and not like attack each other or be rude to each other. Like understand that we have to solve this as a team. So really grateful for her help and you know, everything that we're able to do here is because it's a team. I don't do this by myself and I, I guarantee that 90% of the people out there that are doing well in this industry are not doing it by themselves. Should I even say a hundred percent? But yeah, I wanted to talk to you guys too a little bit about like um, the come up a little bit in glass blowing uh, for me. Um, like how like when I first got started, like how did I start selling glass? And um, you know, like what like that that's the big thing is like people like will make something and they're like before Instagram, let's say like because when I first started glass blowing, Instagram really wasn't super big yet. So it was like you had to go to like festivals or shows, and like I didn't even know about trade shows at this point. Hold on, I gotta take a sip of coffee and light my joint again. When I first started glass blowing, I didn't even know about trade shows. Um, I literally was like asking people, I'm like, how do you sell glass? Like, what do you, where, like, where do you go? And like, my cousins, they lived in uh, Oswego, New York, and up by Oswego, New York, there's a festival. I'm not sure if it's still around or, or it used to be. It's called Sterling Stage. And uh, Sterling Stage was a trip. It was, it was an outdoor festival. Basically, it's out in the middle of the woods, and uh, you like camp out there for a few days. There's music and everything, and it's it's very private. Like you feel like you're in a whole another world when you're there, because it's not like a normal festival. Like it's essentially like a campground, nothing's like really like, at least when I was going there, nothing was really set up. It wasn't like, Oh, like you pay for your ticket or you check at this gate or this or that. It's like, you just go there. You just like walk into the woods. There's booths set up, people hanging out, music playing, there's food. Like there's just tents like scattered through the trees. Like there's like one big clearing in the middle and then there's just a bunch of woods everywhere. And, uh, the first time I went to Sterling stage wasn't cause I was going there. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to fucking party and like go to this festival. I was literally going there. Cause I was like, how do I like sell glass? And someone told me that try going to this festival. <coughs> and, um, so I talked to my cousins and cause they've been before and I was like, what's up with Sterling stage? And they're like, Oh dude, it's awesome. Like basically smoke weed and just like trip on psychedelics and party all weekend. Just listen to music, hang out with friends. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fucking awesome. So what I did was because I knew my wife wouldn't be super comfortable sleeping in a tent and I had an F-250 at the time because we had a landscape company called Bear Mountain Farms. So what I did was I looked at Craigslist, we found a pop-up camper for pretty, pretty cheap. And I was like, all right, perfect. So we'll just hook that up to the truck. We'll pull it into the woods. That way we have like a comfortable place to sleep and we have a place to put our glass at night. Cause I heard some people like if you put your glass in your tent and like you go off and party, someone might steal your pieces. And you know, we just didn't want to risk anything like that. So we set up this awesome little campground, like out in the woods, like at Sterling stage, we had our pop-up camper. We had like an awning set up and under the awning, we had like tables that kind of made like a U shape. And I put glass all on those tables. Like I had recyclers and all different stuff for concentrates. And at that time, that stuff wasn't super big on the East Coast. Like everyone was pretty much smoking flour. But I was like really into concentrates and like uh, the culture like, that was happening on the West Coast. Like I used to watch like the CCC and Token Daily and Coral Reefer and all this shit back in the day on YouTube before I ever moved to Colorado or anything. Just so I could kind of experience or like look through the window basically at this industry that was like happening that I so desperately wanted to be a part of. 
And I got a little taste of that when I started doing the festival scene for only one summer, though, because we got kicked out, and I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, Sterling Stage was super fun because, like I said, we had that like awning with our U-table all set up glass out. And people would just like be like walking through the middle of the woods and you would just see this camper with like a bunch of like rigs and stuff set up. And people were just like, what are those? Like no one, half the people never even heard of a recycler yet seen one. And I was showing people function. I was explaining how it works. I had like all different designs and uh, I was just really like eager to like show people like a lot of people like, and what here, here's what's cool about the festival. Cause it trade shows like people, we all like want to show them the function and they'll be like, Oh no, I don't have any money. Like, and they'll just kind of keep walking to the next booth or what they're there for. And I'm like, no, like I don't, you don't even need to buy anything. Please just come over, hang out with me. Talk to me for a second. Let me show you the function. Let like pull on this piece. Just try it. You don't have to buy anything. I just want you to see what I've been working on. And the one thing cool about the festivals is like, no one has money anyways. Everyone's walking around barefoot and shit. Like, so like, People walk up just because they do want to see it. They do want to see what you're working on. They want to check out something new. So it was just like, it was really fun to be able to like share and show people like recyclers for the first time in that type of setting, like out in the middle of the woods. Like most of the stuff that was there was like dry pipes and, um, you know, like just like bongs, like, like your standard water pipes, which are cool too. You know I mean? Can't go wrong with those. Um, but what would happen is, is because we had this whole tent and awning set up and we had power in the camper because my F-250, like it was all like powered and everything. It was like comfortable. We had a light that was like over the table. So at night people could still see the glass. And we were the only light and sets of tables in the fucking woods. So we were like, we were like this like glowing beacon and everybody that was like tripping and stuff would like crawl through the woods and come towards it. And they would like find our table and they would be like, Oh, this is so cool. And then people start moving pipes out of the way and putting their drugs on our table. And then everyone starts counting and they want to do drugs there. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, we're like trying to sell glass here. And they're like, they like don't even know because they're in their own world. They just think it's fine. They're like, it's fine. It's fine. We'll just, this is where we'll hang out now. Cause there's this light, there's these tables and we'll just do drugs here. And then it turned into this whole thing where basically I had the owner or the guy that owned the land where Sterling stage was come up to me at my booth and I was all excited. I didn't know who he was, but me, anyone that walked up, I was excited. I was kind of like a dog, like a little puppy. I'm just like, Oh friend. Like, and, uh, he came up to my booth and I started showing the glass. I was talking about him. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. He's like, you didn't pay for a vendor license though. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know there was a vendor license. Like I was oblivious. I literally drove into the woods and just parked my camper at a campground. So I didn't know that there was like a vendor license because there was this big cleared out area where the stage was. And I guess there were some people vending down there and they had heard there was someone selling glass in the woods and no one was buying glass at the vendors and everyone was hanging out at my camper and it was pulling everyone away from main stage. And it was like, and people were really upset about it, which I would be too. If I like worked hard and paid money and like I was relying on that show to make some money to like pay my bills, I'd be pissed too. However, I said to the owner, I was like, how much is the the vendor thing? I was like, I'll pay double what it is just as like an apology, just because like, I didn't mean to offend anyone. Like I just came here to have fun or whatever. And at this point I had started, I had ate some mushrooms about two hours earlier. And at this point I was tripping. So I was very emotional. Um, and I was scared cause I was like in the woods. I didn't know anybody. I was like, Oh my God, mushrooms, this guy's kicking me out of this show. And what we heard was, is there was police outside on the main road and anyone pulling out of the woods, they were pulling over and searching their cars, campers, DUI, you know, checking them, see if they're, so this guy's trying to kick me out of the show. I'm tripping on mushrooms. 
he's just being very negative and saying mean things. I was like, let me just pay you. I was like, sorry, like, what can I do? He's like, nothing. He's like, shut down your table and you're out, you're, you're out of here. And I was like, okay. So I went in my camper and uh, just sat there for a minute, pretty upset because I was like, this is the only, where the fuck do I sell glass? Like this, this is where people are supposed to sell glass. And I, and I sold some pieces. So I felt good. I was like, Oh, I can afford to get more materials. Like I was like, we can do this. And then I was having a great day. And then that guy came up and that's why I did the mushrooms too. Cause I was having so much fun. I was doing good. I was like, I was like, fuck it. We'll do some mushrooms too. Like everybody's having a good time. And then as soon as I start tripping, literally, that's why now if I do, when I do psychedelics, I just try to be by myself because like if someone comes up and tries to throw off the whole vibe like that, it's no good. It's like a whirlwind effect of negativity. Um, and you can get trapped in that shit and that's no fun when you're tripping. But basically I just went in my camper and I chilled out for a couple hours. Like he wasn't being forced to like trying to like kick me out of the festival, but he was like, you got to shut down and then like get out of here basically. And and I think he knew that I was a little fucked up too. So it was just being safe that I just hang out in my camper until I felt a little bit more sober. But needless to say, me and my wife did end up leaving that night. We just had to like wait a little bit till we were feeling ready to be out there driving. We didn't get pulled over on the way home or anything. There was no cops out there. Got home fine. But after doing that show and we were super upset because there were still like two other shows we had like scheduled to go to there. And, um, this was actually our third show we had did there too. So we didn't even know, like the first two were fine. No one bothered us. And like the third one, we, that's why we were so oblivious. And I was like, let me just fucking pay you. But we went home from this show. We were like bummed out and, uh, we like, we wanted to enjoy the festival and everything. But like, once we got shut down, it wasn't really like an excuse. Like, oh, let's just go to main stage and have fun now. Cause we can't sell glass anyways. I was just like bummed out. So I just wanted to leave. Um, anyways, but when we got home, like three days later, we got a DM from a titanium nail company um, named Trill Tech, I think. I don't know if they're still around. Um, but a titanium nail company hit us up and they were like, hey, I saw your glass on Instagram. Because at that point, I was posting a little bit on Instagram, um, at least what I had. He was like, hey, I saw your glass on Instagram. Would you guys like to split a booth at Champs? And this was the 2013 Champs in Denver, Colorado. And I was like, what's Champs? And he explained that it was a trade show for like the counterculture for like, you know, supplying head shops, smoke shops. Cause I had tried to go to a few shops, but like they were always like, Oh, our buyer isn't in here. And I think that's like what a lot of glass wars are here. If you go to a shop without scheduling being there, like it'll just be like some retail person. Like, Oh, like I've talked to the owner and so like it was hard to sell glass. So after Trill Tech hit me up on Instagram and told us about this trade show, my wife and I looked it up and we we're like, what is champs? And we started doing a little bit of research. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is our opportunity. This is where we can sell some glass. But I didn't have a product line. I didn't have, the show was in four weeks. I didn't have a product line. I didn't have product made. So I went into my parents' basement where my torch was set up because my house was too small. I lived like across the valley from them. We lived in these little valleys in upstate New York. And I lived uh, across the valley from them. And so they let me set up in their basement because they're awesome. <coughs> oh, shit. <coughs> Weed. Oh, mm. And they let me set up in their basement. And I went down there and I was like, all right, so I got four weeks until this show happens. I need to come up with a product line. And this was before I had really made the honey jar recycler. This was like pre-honey jar recycler. And actually how the honey jar recycler first got made was kind of an accident. I tried to make a shape that I had seen on Instagram and the artists I had seen, I think it was, I think it was rude boy glass. 
And he used to do these things that were like a puck on its side, and there were like windows on the side, and you'd see like the perk in there. I was trying to make a shape like that for a piece, like just trying to make that puck shape with like so I could have two windows on either side. And I, I fucked up the shape, and then it ended up just like looking like a jar, like a little jar. And I was like, all right, well, if that's what you can make, I guess that's what we're making. And uh, that's the only thing I could make. So the honey jar, the early honey jar recyclers, if you look at them, they're very fractal. Like they still are fractal, but even more so in the beginning because I could only make one shape. So I'd make the can the same shape. I'd make the drain the same shape. And that's why the honey jars were originally like flat. Like they still are, but like they have that drain that's like flat with like a straight tube. And it was like that because in the beginning I, I couldn't pull a draw. I couldn't do any of that. So I was like, but I can do a weld and bridge it and clean it up. And so the honey jar was literally an accident. And then I made that one day accidentally after talking to this titanium nail company that wanted to share a booth with me at Champs. And I said, yes. So I was like, you're committed. Like, it was like saying yes to something that I didn't know how to do. And I was just like, you're going to have to figure it out. Here's your, how much time you have. Figure it out. So I, I, I made this honey jar basically by accident. And I was like, okay, now I need one other thing. And the other pipe I was making was a just like a doer, a little doer bubbler. And I was like, I could put a drain on that. And that's where the bell recycler came from, which is now the refined bell recycler, which is the RBR of nowadays. But this is back in 2013 before all that. So I had the honey jar recycler and the bell recycler. Now I needed one, I needed at least one more thing to like balance the table how I wanted. So I took those same shapes and I did an internal drain. And I only did these for a short time. I think I only made like nine of these, maybe 10. But they were my internal recycler I did. Oh, I need to take a sip of coffee. Hold on. And I made this internal recycler. So I had these three designs. I had the honey jar recycler, the bell recycler, and the internal recycler. And I was like, okay, so when I worked retail, and I used to work retail in New York City, um, when I worked there and what I was trained in with like sales and retail in New York City was that like, even if someone doesn't have enough money for this one thing, have different levels so that you can find something for everybody. So what I did was like, all right, so, and I still do this to this day. When I did my first trade show, I had three designs, but they came in three different variations as well. So I'd have the three designs on the table. Like this side, I'd have honey jars. So I'd have a fully colored one. I'd have one that's like frit and clear, and then I have a clear one. The clear one would be the least expensive. The frit and clear would be a little bit step up, a little bit more, and then the fully colored would be the most expensive. That way you had um, three different price ranges so that when stores were reselling the product and they had a customer come in, Maybe the customer came in for the clear one, but then they're like, hey, well, if you want one with a little bit of color, it's only 75 bucks more so that they can upsell the customer to an even nicer piece of glass. So I was really trying to design something for a trade show. Like that was where, like, that was the only thing I knew. Like I wasn't good at glass blowing yet. I didn't know what I was doing yet. So I was like, I know a little bit about sales though and in the retail space. So maybe if I just come at it from, that perspective and just try to make it a product for the stores and make something that, you know, functions really well and people are super happy with, but I, I don't try to make like every dollar. I try to make it so, you know, everybody can make a little bit, then maybe I can find a way to be successful in this industry and take care of my family. <coughs> so I had these three different designs and this trade show, like we had, like I said, we had four weeks to prepare for it. 
And that was four weeks too. First, I had to come up with products. So I came up with those three recyclers. And then I had all the variations. And then I had to make all these pieces. And then we had to design our display, which was like all these like wooden like tree stumps and stuff. It was very like... uh, um, it's very like natural looking because like where we were living in, in upstate New York at the time, it was very woodsy and like we liked the outdoors and stuff and like we loved the fall. So I did lots of fall colors and neutral tones, which at that time, everything was really super bright and stuff. So like the, even the colors of the glass were a little, little different. I was using color combos that maybe weren't, you know, weren't the most popular just because they were so neutral. But to me, I loved the way they looked because I was also a commercial painter for years before that. So like, combining colors and painting like that was I was comfortable too so I was just trying to use like my strengths because I knew in the beginning I was like not good with glass blowing yet but I have other things I might know how to do and I can bring that to the product to add value to it so we had four weeks to make the three designs make all the product you know make the display get the you know our how we want to sell these and like price points and like we've never, never had been to Denver. We had, we drove, we ended up driving from upstate New York to Denver, which was like a 28 hour drive. Um, and when we left New York, uh, to drive out to Denver to do this show, uh, we only had enough money to get there and for our first two nights of a hotel. So we were really like, and we didn't tell our families this cause our families like definitely wouldn't have been stoked if they knew that. Cause we have people that care about us and they're like, you guys, you're gonna get stuck out there cause they don't have money either. So they couldn't help us. But, um, so we made the trip out knowing we're like, if we don't sell anything, then we're fucked. But it's one of those things where it's like, you kind of, sometimes you kind of just have to go for it. So we made the trip out. We got to Denver, which was just, it was a brutal trip too. 28 hours in the car is no fun. And, um, we got to Denver and I had never, you know, I mean, I didn't really go out of New York much. Like, so for me, it was like, so so, so different too. I was really getting affected by the altitude when I first got to Denver, like, and the, the concentrates and everything were so strong and I just wasn't ready and definitely like got like way too stoned. Like when I first got here, like I was like on the ground, like shaking. Like I felt like there was an earthquake. I was like, you guys feel that? And it was horrible. And I was sweating and I was, and everyone's just like looking at me like what's happening to him. And I, and like, you know, later I found out like I got hit with some hardcore altitude sickness. I was like really exhausted. And then I got way too stoned. Crazy combo. But that was the first night here. And then the next day was the show and we had to set up for it in the morning, get ready. And, um, for me being like, I was a kid from upstate New York, all the glass I'd really experienced was in like head shops and stuff. So like, I really just knew the big commercial names. Um, but I was like a really big window shopper back in the day, like 2009 like and 10. I used to just sit on Aqualab Technologies and just look at glass and be like, someday, someday I'll get that leisure piece or that banjo slide. There was these sick banjo slides on Aqualab like back in the day. They're so cool. Um, but I used to like window shop. So I knew like a few like high-end artists and I knew like a lot of the big brands too that you'd see in stores. So when I was walking on the trade show for the first time, like, oh my God, like there's that company or like there's that company. Like I was just like, like, oh, there's like Pyrology and Illidel for like whatever. I don't even know, dude, Roar. Like there were so many different like, like Sheldon Black. I don't even know if that's around anymore. But all these different brands, I was like, fuck, like this is so cool to see like all these people. And I was like talking to them and I didn't feel like a glass blower yet. At this point too, I'd only been blowing glass for six months. So I had picked up a torch 
and then six months later I was at this trade show and that was I only had a month to prepare for it come with the whole product line ideas everything get it all set and then I was walking around just feeling so like I felt like I was in those fucking YouTube videos that I used to watch and people would do like video logs like uh token daily and stuff and I felt like I felt like I was like in the fucking like the videos that I used to just sit there and smoke like shitty mango tango blunts too and watch and and then literally as I was thinking that Paul token walked on the corner and I saw him and I was like I was like oh my god and to me to me he was he was famous to me just like like people are only as famous as like the people that like you know follow them and think they're famous like everyone's just fucking normal people and like I saw him but to me he was like a famous person so I was like oh hey Paul and like I follow them on like social media and stuff so I saw that like his cat had just passed away and like he was there walking around that morning and I was like I'm sorry about your cat like gave him a hug and stuff and it was like it was like just really cool to like I just got to Denver like I was felt like I was already meeting like famous people and stuff it was it was really goofy now that I look back to it I was definitely like starstruck by everybody but um it was just like one of those experiences that I'll never forget just because it I felt like a kid again. And like, this is one of those things I was 23 years old for like probably five years since I was 18. I just didn't feel like a kid. I just felt like bummed out. I was like, fuck, like, what am I going to do with my life? Like I'm in the same shitty town, like same shitty house. Like I just wasn't in a great place. I was a high school dropout. I dropped out in 10th grade. Like I really did not have anything going for me. And now I'm in Denver, Colorado. I'm smoking these concentrates. I'd watch videos about, I'm talking to the people that were in the videos that I enjoyed watching, like the videos that I'd watch like early morning or late at night, like just smoking weed by myself and just like trying to be like someday, maybe I'll get there. I'll be able to be part of this, this industry. And with how much I work and how little I go out now, I find, I, you know, I find just even talking right now, I'm like, I'm like remembering so much of why I love glass blowing and why I love cannabis and this whole industry. Sometimes it's sometimes you lose track of that stuff. You get so buried in work or the things you got to get done that day or taking care of your family and which are all admirable things. But I feel like conversations and stuff like this is a great way to just try to like remember why you started or what you loved about each thing so that you can continue to like fuel that passion you have because if you lose like your passion, you lose your drive like you know, that's, it happens to all of us. I mean, I have those days where shit, like, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I want to make something else today. But I'm like, no, I'm committed to the RBR right now. And, and discipline is a big thing too. I mean, if anything, like we're jumping all over the fucking place, but that's what I wanted this podcast to be. Like, I wanted this to be all over the fucking place because I want you guys to get to know me better and understand where this glass is coming from, who's making it, see how crazy I really am. Um, but yeah, like learning discipline, jumping back to that. I did like a lot of the shitty jobs growing up. Like I was a cart pusher. I was a dishwasher. I did fucking like carried shingles on roofs. I you know carried brick. Like I was, I was always working from a young age. Like I had my own pumpkin patch and Indian corn patch that I'd grow to sell pumpkins every year when I was eight years old to make money. Like I always have been working and doing things, but honestly where I like learned the most discipline was doing the worst jobs. Like when I was a dishwasher at a big restaurant before I even got to like do prep cook or anything, when I was just doing the shitty job, like 
I was proud that I was the best dishwasher and that sounds so stupid, but I would work so hard to make sure everyone else's job was easy. I didn't expect anything from it. I did it without any expectations or anything. I was just like, I want to be the best at this. I would move the fastest, clean the quickest, the most efficient. I made sure no one was waiting or asking. I would help other people do their jobs. If I was standing around, I just made sure I was moving the whole time. And learning that discipline and stuff and just committing to something like even as silly as washing dishes. If that's what you're doing right now, if you're working a job that like you hate and you're just doing that, like be the best at it. That's it. Just learn that discipline and then all the doors will open. You'll be like, I could literally do anything as long as I just fucking commit hundred percent. And I choose, this is it. This is what I'm doing. But I learned a lot of discipline from working those, those shitty jobs. Um, but yeah, that, that tangent just took me to a whole nother place, but yeah, back to Denver. So our first trade show, we're sitting there, got the whole booth all set up and, um, I'm just I, like the, sh- the doors are about to open and everyone's about to come in. And this back then the trade shows were really bumping. Like there was a lot of people there. I think I hit the glass industry right at the right time where I could still get my foot in and start building like a company and a name for myself early on. Uh, cause now it's a lot more competitive. Um, but which all that means is you guys are going to see some of the craziest glass blowers coming up and there already are. There's these dudes, there's people out there fucking killing it, which is competition and stuff like that is good for the development of any like art form or, you know, product. But I'm sitting in my booth, the doors open up, people start coming in. Uh, I start meeting shops, shaking people's hands, talking to them. I like big glass blowers start coming up and talking to me and like giving me their insight and their two cents. And everyone was so nice to us. We're from a place in upstate New York where people aren't nice. <laughs> They're, you know, when, when certain, like if, if a whole area is having a tough time, like economy wise and the weather's always gray and shitty, then like people usually aren't in the best moods. Like people are just upset, angry. Like it's a dying area, Syracuse, New York. And, uh, hopefully it gets better someday, but right now it's a piece of shit. But yeah, like these people were coming up to us and they were being like so kind, like we weren't used to it. We were just like, wow, like that person was so nice. And then another group of people have come up talking. I was like, holy shit, like we didn't realize there was a place where people were like this because me and my wife have always just been in New York. Like we only had like one thing and it was just like the these specific attitudes of our area. And then we started meeting people from other places and we were like, we don't have to live there and feel like that. And we met some of the nicest people in Denver. And literally six months later, we were packing and we moved out here. We moved to Colorado just because we were like, people are way happier out there. Um, there's just more opportunity, but it was like the, just the people and like the, like, uh, being able to like smoke and have cannabis legally because I would always like all of us, anyone that's on like the East or West coast or in a state where you, uh, do not have good laws for cannabis, like, just even having like a little bit of weed and driving down the road and like you see a cop go by you and like that anxiety you feel in your chest, like that's not good for you. And that sucks to feel like that. I moved to Colorado and it still took me about six months to not be like, Oh shit, there's a cop. Um, but it took me about six months to not feel like that. But now it's just like, I don't stress about it anymore. And that's just one of one of the thing I can kind of like knock off the list of like anxieties is like not being too stressed about like, you know, having a little bit of weed on you, you know, it's not like going to ruin your day or like fuck up your whole world if you're, you know, in Colorado, which is really nice. I hope I didn't just jinx myself. Um, let's see here. Um, but yeah, the move, 
the move to Denver. I'm going to talk about that for a minute. The move to Denver was extremely intense. And I'm going to light my joint again for a minute because this is another tangent. I'll probably be talking for a minute, so we got to get it in. But again, thank you guys for listening to these and communicating with me on Instagram and all like the comments and stuff. And it's just really cool. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, like pretty much an only child. Like I had an older stepbrother, but he didn't live with us. Um, so for me, it's like, uh, it's so cool to be able to share stuff with people. Um, because I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and like, I would just like look out the window and be like, is someone coming here? cool like because people i mean we lived like i didn't have friends where i could just like go outside and go fucking hang out with people but yeah the move to denver was fucking crazy so when i when i moved out to denver uh, i ended up moving out here with like my cousins and uh, their girlfriends and everything like it was really cool like i had family and friends that like wanted to like just jump on this journey with me and be part of uh be part of bear mountain studios and do all this stuff together so we made made this big trip out together, and uh, I had just made my first big sale at the point at this time, and it was with uh, Purple Haze here in Denver, and uh, they bought like a big order for me um, at the time, and for me it was like really big. I was like, this is this is crazy. Like this is how we're gonna move to Denver. Like so, Purple Haze literally bought an order for me and a manual. My dude, love those guys. They've taken care of me forever. Great people over there at Purple Haze. Um, any glass floor that can work with them should consider yourself lucky. They're an incredible people to work with, but, but yeah, like those guys took care of me and they were one of the big factors that got me here to Colorado as well as the dab store. My friends over at the dab store, what they ended up doing is they ended up going and looking at houses for us because we couldn't like go see houses and it was so competitive in Denver to get like a nice house that was big enough to have glass blowing in and have three couples living in. So we needed something very specific and the housing market out here still is very competitive and was back then. So you literally needed to have your application paid for and filled out and you'd have to go to the house and look at it. And if you liked it, you had to get that application as fast as possible. And uh, people that don't live in state really are low priority for these retailers because they can just deal with someone face to face right there. So the dab store, those guys, they were going and looking at houses for us, filling out paperwork, dropping it off. Like <clears throat> there's some people that really are the people that got us here. It really helped. It wouldn't have been possible with all these different, without each person that did things for us, it wouldn't have been possible. And they're all people we met at that first Champs Trade Show. So, and I don't think I'd be where I am right now if I didn't move to Colorado. I'll tell you that right now, guys. Like, even if you love your hometown and you maybe want to stay there forever, maybe get out of it for a little bit and then come back with everything you've learned and, and do well there. But, man, there's something about moving and putting yourself in a new uncomfortable situation that forces you to kind of, to kind of like learn and adapt and, and better yourself in a way where you're more like capable in situations. Like if, if something new happens or this happens, you're like, okay, I got, I know what I can do to solve this. But yeah, like all these people like helped us get out here and I'm super grateful they did that. And that first champs trade show and everything. And like, it's just wild. But so yeah, I moved out here with all my cousins. Um, at this point, all of us have kind of gone our separate ways and done our own things. Um, so it's just me here at Bear Mountain Studios. But <clears throat> we all moved out here together, which was really cool. It made the move a lot easier just having friends and family around, which was really nice. And um, after about a year and a half, like 
living in this house where basically like this house, we had a house check every two months. Um, and these house checks were pretty intense because we're in Colorado. A lot of people are growing weed and people that are renting houses, they don't really want people growing weed in the house because they could destroy the house or burn it down if they do electrical wrong or something. And it's just like illegal if you grow too many plants. So <clears throat> a lot of people that, you know, owned a house and they rented it out to people, didn't want people growing in it. So we'd have a house inspection every two months. Now in the basement, I had a glass blowing studio and I had a grow. So it's like, how do you hide a glass blowing studio and a grow when they're going to walk through your house every two months and two months is like, you know, barely enough time to flower out, especially with a lot of stuff I was flowering like two months, like to like hide stuff wasn't possible. So what I would do was, let me get a sip of coffee real quick. I'm getting a little raspy over here. <clears throat> what I would do is on like inspection day or the night before, I would take these plastic totes I had. They were like filled like Christmas stuff or whatever. I just like storage shit we moved out with. And like we had six couples stuff there. So we had a lot of totes and I would make this wall of totes around the grow tent. So you could not see the grow tent. Oh, actually guys, we're going to pause here real quick. We're uh, getting a del oxygen delivery right now. And, um, it's going to be loud for a second and we're in the garage. So we'll be right back. Oh, hell yeah. Baby's Valentine's day party. Dang. We can even leave this in there. This is great right there. That's great content. All right, everybody. And we are back. The oxygen has been delivered. We are ready for an all weekend grind, but let's get back to what I was talking about. Hiding my grow in my glass blowing studio in my house in Denver. Um, when we first moved out here, we moved to Aurora, Colorado. Uh, and we, like I was saying a little while ago, we had to get like this big, like crazy house so that we had like enough room for three couples, a glass blowing studio and a grow. Cause those were all the things I wanted to do when I lived in Colorado. So every two months, a guy would come and inspect our house because, you know, like I said a little while ago, like they like to make sure no one's growing in the house, make sure you're taking care of the home because you're a renter. So when this guy would come to our house to check everything, I would hide this grow. And I would literally, like I said a minute ago, I keep repeating myself, I'm already clearly very stoned in the podcast. So we're getting a little redundant here. But we would hide the grow using um, like totes, like big plastic totes. Like we had a bunch of like Christmas decorations, clothing in. We'd build like a wall, like around the grow tent. And then I would like kind of like scatter stuff. So it looked like it was kind of like where we were just doing storage because I had it in one corner of the basement. So I'm like, yeah, that's our storage corner. Uh, it's just where we have all the Christmas decorations and shit. And then the glass blowing studio, I would disconnect all the torches, hide them under the benches. And then, because I built all these benches in the basement of this house and then I had ventilation down there and stuff. And I would, I basically would put out like, I had like guitars I was working on because I used to like paint guitars and refinish them. And I would put half finished guitars out. I put like a easel up with like paint brushes and I would put all these art supplies out. So he'd come downstairs and like, he would just see the bins, like, Oh, the storage, whatever. I'll push to one corner. And then he'd be like, what's up with these? And I'm like, yeah, we like to do art down here. And uh, I just put a couple little fans in just for fumes. So I didn't know if like paints let off fumes. I just kind of acted like an idiot basically. And he was like, all right, cool. And uh, we did that for a year and a half. So we did, I think, eight inspections or so, something like that. We did a lot of inspections, though. It was crazy. I, I can't believe they never, they never knew. But we were growing and blowing glass in that house. And um, after about a year and a half of living up in Aurora, we were, like, paying so much money for rent because the rent is super expensive out here because they know people are trying to move out here. 
And we were looking, we we're like, it would be way less expensive to pay a mortgage than it, than it is to like rent this whole house. So then we started looking to buy a home here in Colorado. And at this point, we'd been paying taxes on the Bear Mountain Studios company for three years. Uh, about three years, yeah. So we had enough like paperwork to like apply for a loan. But man, how it was so hard to fucking get a house out here because like the, the housing market's so competitive. But needless to say, the house was found. We are in it right now. This is the garage of the house we found. And it was, uh, it was crazy. The house came on the market that day and uh, we contacted our realtor. We went here the day it came on the market and there had already been five offers put on the house within the first day. And a few of the offers were higher than what the people were asking, which was like, that's how competitive it was. Like people are already offering them more before you know, on the day one. And I was like, Cassie, this house is perfect. Like had like this big like garage, like where I could build out a studio and it was just like a ranch. So it was like really comfortable. No like stairs run up and down, like modest house with a big garage, but that's what we needed to like have the studio to keep the overhead manageable. When you're trying to grow a company, a lot of, a lot of people start in their garages. It's all part of that grind, but we got this house and like ever since, I mean, man, like we just redid this studio in August of 2019 last year. If you guys look back on my Instagram, you can see the whole process of me pouring the concrete countertops, finishing them, like uh, grinding down all the steel and just like all the steps we did to build this whole thing ourselves. Ash on the table. All right. Well, I think the last thing I want to get into today, finish it up on this is, uh, People ask this question all the time on Instagram or send me DMs. How do you feel about other people making RBRs? And I've addressed this before on Instagram, but I post so damn much that half of my posts, not everyone sees because I'm posting like six things a day. So things get buried really quick in my feed. <clears throat> and uh, I've said it before, but I don't care if people make the same exact design. It's... It's, a, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're making something and it's like something that other people look at and like they, it's simple enough to make other people are going to make it. And it's a really functional recycler design. Um, I think the only thing with me that I don't really like is when everyone calls something like call it, like they call it an RBR. Um, cause like call it whatever they want obviously it's, it's their piece of glass they made they're selling but like the rbr like i feel like a lot of people don't know it, even know what the acronym means and uh, it's refined bell recycler which it's a refined version of my 2013 bell recycler so i wouldn't say theirs is an rbr because i don't know if it's a refined version of the bell recycler but it looks like an rbr so people just call it that so but it's it's like one of those things it's like you can't really get can't really get mad at it because it's like part of like any industry and like even now like I'm like thinking about what I'm saying is coming out of my mouth I'm like you're overthinking it people are just calling it RBR it's just because that's what you've like branded it as and that's what people are going to brand theirs as to sell it that's just how it works but my thing is is I've like seen a lot of things recently on like Instagram and comments and people being like basically um let's see how I said what did they say hold on here Mm -hmm. they're basically saying that like oh this 
like say someone makes an RBR and they call it an RBR. And then like one of their followers or collectors like really likes it. They scoop it. That's awesome. And they're like, this is like even better than this. And people are cheering them on because they just see Bear Mountain Studios as like some big company. <laughs> but I really like, my thing is I wish that like, and not everyone's going to know your whole story. Like a lot of the people that like don't know the background of like the RBR, or, like my come up or they don't know my story. Like they're not even going to see these podcasts or anything. And that, cause like people will make their own narrative. They'll just see something and be like, Oh, this is how it happened. But I feel like sometimes people, what's happening now is because as I'm like growing and I'm building, I'm working really hard and I'm doing lots of drops. People are looking at bear mountain as like, Oh, it's a, it's a bigger company. So just like, it's fine to like, you know, remake it and like talk badly about the people that, you know, made that piece and marketed the whole thing. But like, we're not some big company. My whole point to this whole thing is, and we probably took a really weird path of getting there. But my whole point is, is we are a small family company. It is me and my wife. We're crushing every day. We're in our garage. Like we're even doing the podcast in our garage. We do all this stuff from home. So we're not some like big company with like without faces. Like we're like a young couple that have been building this for seven years together as well as raising our family. And, um, I don't care if people make RBRs. Um, honestly, like 90% of the time I would actually go and comment like, good job, dude. That looks awesome. Like if, if some of them were nice enough, I'd literally like be like, you want to come work with me? We'll work together on the RBR project. Like I'd rather have help. Like if someone's really good at doing it, like let's work together if you're that good at it. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care about people remaking stuff. Cause that's like every industry. That's what happens. It's just like, the perspective and that's something I have no control over. So like later tonight when I'm sitting down and smoking even more weed, I'm like, why'd you even talk about that today in the podcast? But the perspective I wish I had, like, I wish I could show everyone like what me and my wife and how hard we've worked and everything we've built together. And I know there's a hardcore following out there and a bunch of you that know the whole story. You've been following forever. You saw all the late nights to four in the morning and then back up at seven. And you've like, you guys have seen all the ups and downs, like, so there's a definitely a group of you that know out there, but I feel like some of the loudest voices out there, they don't know the real story and they make their own narrative. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to do my best to like inform people, talk about my story, show you guys what we're doing, be transparent, um, make lots of podcasts and videos like this where we basically just hang out and sesh, talk about the week, talk about like things that are happening or shit we're trying to work through or figure out as a small business. Um, and be more vulnerable, really. I mean, podcasts and long format conversations, like, especially with a camera on you, you're you're watching, like, someone work through something and think about things and reflect and talk. It's, it's, it's definitely super vulnerable. So, like, I know it's one of those things, the more of these I do, like, I'll probably start getting a lot more haters and shit. But that's, like, if you're trying to achieve anything, like, you're going to have people that aren't stoked. What I found is that like the harder I worked, the more people I annoyed. And that was the same situation when I was a dishwasher. The other dishwashers were annoyed with me. They're like, why are you trying so hard? I'm like, I'm not trying so hard because I think this is where I'm going to be forever. I'm trying this hard because I know I'm going to go farther than this. I'm setting up my standards for something greater. You know, I, it's, I don't know. But we went all over the fucking place today on this podcast, guys. Uh, anyone that makes it this far into it, thank you for sticking with me, listening to the whole thing. 
Um, we had kind of like, I would say I was a little nervous in the start again, but that's going to be happen for a while. Like you guys are getting to know me on a totally different level. I want to do these podcasts too. Cause I have a lot of friends back home. I have family members. We don't talk enough, but they watch everything I'm doing. And the reason we don't talk enough is actually my fault. I'm so bad at getting back to people. I have people that hit me up in the DMS or text that think I'm bad at getting back to them. You should see how bad I am at getting back to family. It's horrible. I got to get better at it. But I think this podcast will be a great way too, because my parents and people have already started watching these back home and they're like, you know, it's going to be a way for them to see how I'm doing and see what I'm up to as well and learn about more of our company. And I don't know, hopefully we all, uh, you guys all get to know me better and enjoy these episodes. I, they'll get better and better. We're definitely going to start doing some guests. I'm going to have my wife on here. She might, who knows, we might have a second mic all the time with my wife next to me if she's down to do it because she has like such a different dynamic than me. Like I, I, I talk like a lot and I'm all over the place, but she keeps me in check and, um, she has a lot of like cool shit to talk about too. And like her perspective on stories. Cause I might tell you guys a story that happened to me with glass blowing. She'll be like, no, 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 no. This is what happened. This guy is romanticizing the whole fucking thing, but who knows? So keep, uh, keep watching, keep sticking with us here. Uh, Thank you so much, guys. This was fun. We're going to do it more. Make sure you guys check out the Planet Caravan drop coming up this week. And, um, yeah, thanks so much, everybody.